morning. I am, I am excited and humbled in equal measure to be here this morning. I, I really am, and I earnestly hope and pray that something, of what, something in some of the words that I share with you this morning will, will be meaningful for you. I, I really hope and pray that that is the case. I must... I find myself to be surprised again by God this morning, and I must start. I was not expecting to say this when I came here this morning, but I must start with a little bit of a public confession. I'm not, I'm not as a man, sometimes it has been suggested to me, sometimes fairly directly, that I'm not always very good at listening to other people. People have suggested to me that I could be better at listening to them or hearing things that they want to try and say to me. And it's perhaps a failing in my character or a weakness that I'm not very proud of. I'm a little bit embarrassed about it. Sometimes when people are speaking to me, and I know it's, hap I know it's happening. Like an eagle, my mind is somewhere else, but I'm supposed to be there, and I'm desperately trying. They don't know the internal struggle that's going on, and it's not because there's anything. It's a failing in me. It's not that person. If you've ever experienced that, I apologize. And I worry that some of my closest brothers and sisters will be wounded by the following confession of this most recent example of this weakness in me, as we, as we prayed together this morning, six, seven, eight of us, there we were, I have to be totally honest with you, maybe I was a little preoccupied with having to preach this morning. I really was struggling to focus on people's beautiful prayers. It was a lovely little I feel emotional now, but it was a lovely little kind of Holy Spirit Malay, you know, lovely prayers being prayed. I knew those prayers were being prayed, but I struggled to connect with them. And that's a failing in me, and it's a weakness. And remember me in your prayers. I need to get better at listening to other people. But, but that said, there I was standing there, eagle mind, somewhere over the North Downs. It should really have been here. And, and then this, this prayer just leapt out of, just this prayer leapt out of this Malay at me. And as I preach and speak this morning, I'm going to ask you to remember this one prayer that one person prayed more than once. It was that remarkable. And uh, Kevin, I don't think he'll mind me mentioning him by name, but more than once. And it was one of those prayers and you hear it really caught my attention. I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, he, he prayed, Jesus be, Jesus be our focus. Jesus be the focus of our attention. And that, and that prayer caught my attention in a funny kind of a way. I'm, I'm, you know, so, and, and, just, and more than once I had that prayer, Jesus be our focus. Jesus be the focus of our attention. And, 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 I, and I kind of thought, wow, that, that's, that's quite a prayer to hear right now. And I hope that as I speak and pray this morning, you might have the odd moment to think, oh my goodness, that, that was not by chance that that prayer was prayed. So I start with that confession. And uh, the, before I preach this morning, I must, I, I've, 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 I've prayed this one through. I've asked God more than once, give, give me something really good. Give me a really good way. I don't like to use the word plug, but give me a really good way to, to recommend, cajole, encourage, persuade, tempt, lure, entice, tell, whatever word it is that you advertise, whatever word you want to use, 
to encourage people to come on the Freedom in Christ course. You know, God, give me something really clever, like a little story or a joke or whatever. But, I, as you know, nothing's really come to me beyond this. And I think what I would say, and I will take just a minute to recommend. Recommend seems a, an inadequate word to use somehow, but I can't encourage you enough, please, to consider the Freedom in Christ course this awesome. And again, course seems like an inadequate word to use. The course as and of itself, with all due respect to the course and its architects and the authors and the wonderful team of speakers that we will have this autumn, the course as and of itself won't do a thing for you. But Jesus Christ will. Jesus Christ will. We want in this church fellowship to really build and develop and grow and nurture a culture of discipleship in Jesus Christ. Some of us become stale. We lose sight of the adventure that is following Christ. Too many of us are, live lives that are less than they could. And I say this respectfully, Christ always has more for us. If you have not yet considered the Freedom in Christ course, if you have not yet considered discipleship, deepening discipleship in Jesus Christ, I urge you to consider that, please. If you've been invited, come. If you haven't been invited, ask for an invitation. And please, I urge you, consider coming on the Freedom in Christ course this awesome. I won't go through the, the practical details of when I just Just do it. You know, just sign up. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it's one session or 100 sessions between now and Christmas. You, you, you will not regret this choice, this decision. Consider, please, coming on the Freedom in Christ course. It's autumn, not because the course will do anything for you, but because Jesus will. He really will. If you, if you do have a Bible to hand, you may wish to turn to Luke chapter 2. We will first read together the Last Supper. This will be quite a journey for us this morning. It really will be. If you have Luke 22 to hand, verses 7 to 23. Have a look at that now. We'll just read through that together. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Scholars much more capable than I have spent lifetimes exploring and explaining the meaning and the mystery of the Last Supper. It would be a futile endeavor for me to attempt the same in 20 minutes. So I start with a short disclaimer and I must manage your expectations. As is the case with so many of the things that Jesus left for us to do, the Last Supper is first and foremost precisely just that. It is an act of remembrance and it is something that we are to do. The Last Supper is not without mystery and we are not expected to fully comprehend or overly rationalize. As with so many of the things that Christ left us, our best hope of understanding comes not from reading but from doing. If you, are, if you are to receive the Last Supper, then you must, as Jesus commanded, do it. Ironic, then, that I find myself to be standing in the shoes of a man who has been asked to talk about it. However, because this is church and because this is important, I will preach this message. But I insist that before we part company today, that we do the Last Supper together. In the act of doing Holy Communion, we receive far more anything than could possibly be received from any of my following remarks. Our journey this morning starts in the Last Supper and for the most part must necessarily stay there. The destination of our journey will be an invitation to share Holy Communion together and at the same time, we are invited to stand before the cross. Not an invitation that everybody accepts. But the truth is, only at the cross do we there begin to listen to the words that Jesus spoke to us at the Last Supper. And only there do we truly begin to understand who we are. The Last Supper comes towards the very end of Jesus' ministry and his time on, on earth. He has endured many trials, verse 28. He has endured many trials, answered many questions, and has been challenged repeatedly by the people that he came to save. Repeatedly, Jesus gives an account. Jesus has performed miracles, raised friends from the dead, answered his critics, and patiently unscrupulously engaged fully with every single question ever asked of him. And whilst many were offended, no fault was ever found. 
Jesus understood people better than people understood themselves. And I wonder, I've often wondered in part if this is why people have always been so often offended. For a long time, Jesus knew that his ministry on this earth, without the cross, would never satisfy the people that he came to save. In the final hours before darkness reigns, in Luke 22, 53, we see Jesus speak of darkness reigns. In the final hours before his message of salvation, in the final hours before darkness reigns, his message of salvation was insufficient for the doubters and even, even his closest followers would fall away. Jesus organizes this last supper secretly knowing that his ministry, in a certain knowledge that his ministry has offended a lot of people and the ruling classes very much wish to be rid of him. Jesus knows that his mission is to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. We read in Luke 9. He knows that he is to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem, and he knows that the cross awaits him. Jesus is as certain of the suffering that is to come and the path that he will follow, as he is certain that his close disciples cannot, perhaps will not, know or comprehend the sacrifice that is to be made. Jesus eagerly desired the Last Supper. For him, as for his friends' presence, the Last Supper was a Passover meal, and we can allow ourselves a moment to consider the meaning of this. We will know that historically, Passover celebrated and remembered God's judgment of Pharaoh and God's rescue of his people from Egypt. As long ago as the book of Exodus, we read about God instructing his people to sacrifice lambs and sprinkle their blood across their door frames that they might be spared the death that would otherwise visit upon the firstborn of every household in Egypt. So Jesus' friends, much as usual, much as usual, will have sat down with him to celebrate Passover. To remember this great judgment of Egypt and rescue of Israel. But this Passover, but this Passover would be so very different. And the judgment that Jesus had so often spoken about during his ministry was to be meted out. And the rescue would be different too. This time, Jesus himself, rather than a lamb without defects, would be the perfect sacrifice, God's own son. The Last Supper was, for Jesus, the final opportunity that he had with his disciples to explain the fulfillment of his mission and what he intended. Jesus was crystal clear in what he said, and he was crystal clear in what he did. Verses 19 and 20, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. God's rescue plan unequivocally must now mean the sacrifice of his only perfect son. And this rescue would be a final and once and for all new covenant that would release new life for all. Jesus was sorrowful, and I believe he yearned, he wanted in this moment to be understood. Sometimes when people, and I don't see Jesus as an exception, are in a place of pain or sorrow more than anything else, they want to be understood. Much of the significance of what Jesus was saying to his friends failed to register with them. But this was not because of any lack of his ability to articulate. We learn a great deal about the responses of those present, not just from what looked not just from what Luke's gospel states they did say and do, but from the things that it is clear that they did not say and they did not do. But if they had done those things, I very much doubt that Luke would have failed, that Luke would have omitted to mention such things. Jesus has poured out his heart to his closest friends and more than anything, he wants to be understood. The Last Supper is important to Jesus because this could yet be his final opportunity to spell out for his closest friend the cross, to his closest friends, the cross that awaits. This is the final pointer on the long, long journey to the cross. And yet not one of Jesus' friends connected in any real or meaningful way with what he said. Nobody acknowledges his anguish, his sorrow, the painful place in which he must be, still less the painful place he has to go to. Nobody said, tell me about that. Nobody said, how do you feel? And nobody said, well, we need to pray about that. Not one of his disciples said, let's pray. Nobody put an arm around him and gave, you know, that may sound ridiculous, but I think, I really do believe if John or Pete or somebody had said, I'm going to give you a hug for that. Don't quite understand where you're going or what you're going through, but nobody comforted him. But Jesus himself, with the cross set before him and only hours away, there is an emerging picture of pain and isolation, even amongst those he counts as friends and even in the midst of those best placed to offer comforts. Sad to say, this seems almost the perfect model for our own capacity to miss the suffering of those in our most immediate presence. The disciples were focused on themselves, and I think they were focused on having a good time. They wanted another good Passover. And they could enjoy all of this because Jesus had, as usual, in a miraculous way, made arrangements, all that stuff around this guy at the gate with a jar of water. And then they rock up to this place, and they say, the teacher says, there should be, oh yeah, the upper room. It's so, nobody, nobody, nobody seems to have said, what about that? Nobody seems to have sat down to something and said, 
They were all used, they were used to this. They were used to this. They spent all this time living with Jesus and they were used to him just saying, yeah, pop into town, there'll be a guy at the gate, John of Boston, and there. nobody seems to have said, it's pretty cool the way all this has worked out. Do you know what I mean? Nobody seems to have said that. And they've been living like this for years in his presence, yet somehow missing, somehow missing that miracle. And when in that moment Jesus was being serious and spoke to them and tried to reach out to them about his body being broken and his blood being shed, they felt awkward or unable or were simply too selfish to respond. Perhaps he was speaking another parable or a metaphor that they had to go away and think about. The emerging tragedy here is that whilst this was the moment Jesus articulated, maybe something of his needs, the disciples missed their, they missed their cue. In his hour of need, God sent his only son to be among them, and they completely missed the moment. Their responses indicate that their focus was not on Jesus. Why after everything that Jesus had invested in his friends, would they even question among themselves who would betray him? Why would any of them even have any doubts sufficient for the question to arise? And why were they bickering over who was the greatest? Jesus' disciples were more preoccupied with themselves than ever. And this is not intended to be a character assassination of the disciples. I'm sure they were fantastic people, but not without their failings. Jesus, who knew his friends better than they knew themselves, understood that nothing less, nothing less than the sacrifice to come would or could finally and truly capture their attention. And it's the same for us. And I defy anyone to claim otherwise. We have all spent time in the presence of Jesus Christ without focusing on him as we should. Only standing before the cross only standing before that cross of Christ is sufficient for us today, for only in that place do we truly realize who we are and who he is. And none of us can claim a response to Christ any different. But Jesus' loyal friends and disciples' comprehension in that moment, in that last supper, was beyond them. For most or all of them, understanding Jesus' words would have been too much for them. The Last Supper was always going to be something that they would have to do. And again, it's the same for us, exactly as it was for them. Jesus, in many respects, is not, is not asking us to understand God's plan for judgment and rescue. And Jesus is not asking us, in many ways, to understand the Last Supper. Primarily, Jesus is calling us to do the Last Supper. And in his final message to us before the cross, Jesus is calling us not to think about or overanalyze the supper, but to do it, to be obedient to him and to know this act of remembrance. But James, John, Peter, Andrew, Philip, and all the others, the words spoken by Jesus in the moment of the Last Supper, 
for too much. And I really do believe that for them, it wasn't until that awful moment when they saw for themselves the horrific spectacle of their best friends dying on his cross. It wasn't until that moment that they might have just begun to understand that they might just have started to reflect on, to comprehend, and to begin to understand what he had been trying to say to them in that moment, in that Last Supper, indeed for all those years before. This was the moment, standing before the cross of Christ, when they started to realize who they were. When the, the disciples started to reflect on the words that Jesus had spoken to them at his Last Supper, this was the moment when the disciples first stopped focusing on themselves for long enough to consider what Christ had so plainly said to them. Before the cross itself, the disciples stood at the apex of history's most sobering moment as they filled full of regret with a certain knowledge of their own sin and their own shame. And it is the same, it's the, it's the same for us and we're no different. John Stott, better scholar than I, writes this. We can stand before it, the cross. We can stand before it only with a bowed head and a broken spirit. And there we remain until the Lord Jesus speaks to our hearts, his word of pardon and acceptance. And we gripped by his love and brimful of thanksgiving go out into the world to live our lives in his service. Please forgive my preceding ramblings. I hope that some of the things that I have said have made some sense to you. I wish to conclude now, and soon Becky will lead us in the act of remembrance that is Holy Communion. Having listened patiently to me talking about it, you finally will have the opportunity, as Jesus Christ himself commanded, to do it. Unlike the disciples in that moment, of the Last Supper, many of us have stood before the cross of Christ. There we find our sinful selves just as we are, and there only do we find pardon and acceptance. There we begin to understand what Jesus was talking about at the Last Supper when he spoke of his broken body. And in finishing with this act of remembrance today, we now call Holy Communion, we reach our promised, we reach our promised invitation. Do you remember at the start I promised you an invitation? I really did. In remembering the sacrifice that he made, we must take up the invitation, whether afresh or for the first time, to stand before the cross and there to reflect on our sin and there with thankful hearts to receive pardon, acceptance, forgiveness, salvation for our needy souls. The body and the blood of Christ are broken and shed for us today. And in this, as commanded, we remember Christ and the sacrifice he made. As we remember Christ and take Holy Communion together this morning, I ask, I ask one or more of the following three things of you. I hope these three things are clear, and I hope that as you take Holy Communion you will be able to pray about these things. 
If you feel that God is prompting you to respond to any of these three things, then please do so. Please, please do respond if you can before you leave today or perhaps, or perhaps later in the week with a trusted friend. But if God is prompting you to respond, please don't not respond at all. And this is number one, and I hope these are fairly clear. I hope these are fairly clear, and I hope that these will be things that you can pray on and reflect on as we take Holy Communion together. Of these three things, it's not that it's pick and mix, but you may find that one really applies to you, or all three, if you see what I mean. So let me go through them, and you can work this one out for yourself. Number one, if, if you are in pain today, if you are in a place of sorrow or regret or disappointment or fear, then know today that you have a perfect Savior who knows what you are going through and what you have been through. Ask Him through the Holy Spirit to comfort you, and He will put His arm around you. Reach out to Jesus, and you will be heard. You will not be misunderstood, and Jesus will not... He, he will not be clumsy. He will comfort you and he will give you the reassurance that you need. If and only if the Holy Spirit prompts you, ask somebody that you trust to pray for you. And that might be nothing more, that might be nothing more than to say something like, I'm in a place of pain right now. Would you please pray for me? So that's number one, and I hope that's fairly clear. Number two, can I ask, have you ever missed your moments? And who do you know that is in a place of pain or sorrow? That person may even have tried to reach out to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these people to you and pray for these people and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants of you. Ask the Holy Spirit what he wants of you in terms of people that you know or may know or who may be in a place of pain or who may have tried to reach out to you and you kind of think, Do you know what, I missed that. I must pray for that person. And here's number three. Stand again. Stand again at the foot of the cross and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you those times in or areas of your life, when your focus was or is on yourself and not wholly on worshipping Jesus. Ask for and receive forgiveness. And if you like, ask a trusted friend to help you pray this through. Now, you may be somebody who has spent time in the company of Jesus, but you've never stood at the foot of his... You've never... You've spent time with him. But you've never taken up that, you've never really taken up that invitation to stand before the foot of his cross. This could be your first time today, and this is your invitation now. Don't, don't, miss, don't miss your moment. If you feel that Christ is calling you for the first time to stand in his presence and before the feet of his cross, 
but you're not quite sure how to respond, ask a trusted friend for help or perhaps speak, perhaps speak to a church leader. During Holy Communion, reflect, reflect and pray on this. And please don't miss, don't miss your moment or wait. Don't, wait. don't miss your moment and please don't wait for it to come around again. Accept this invitation. Accept the invitation and ask a trusted friend or, or, or tell them how you feel. Thank you all very much for your patience this morning. I hand you all over now to Becky. Who is now going to make who is now, who is now going to make really clear for you. Becky's going to you are. I know you'll do this really well. Becky's going to make clear for you our arrangements for for, for doing 